Hi, I'm Issa Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hunt. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Netflix, presenting The Crown, as the beloved series bids farewell. Deserving of praise on every level, says New York Magazine. Throughout its groundbreaking six-season run, The Crown has featured three different casts, earned 273 award nominations, and secured 70 award wins, including outstanding drama series. Critics rave, The Crown secures its place in the pantheon of television history. From creator and writer Peter Morgan, the final season stars Imelda Staunton, Dominic West, and SAG Award winner Elizabeth Debicki. The Crown, for your Emmy consideration in all categories. It is Wednesday, November 9th. In the run-up to last night's national election, there are a lot of prognosticators who claim to know what was going to happen. Nate Silver, Real Clear Politics, maybe your uncle on Facebook. How they do? As of this taping, not great. The same thing happens in Hollywood every weekend, albeit with slightly lower stakes. It's called movie tracking, and it's the science of predicting how a film will do at the box office based on many different factors, some of them pretty unscientific. Things like budget, marketing spend, release date, other movies in theaters, comps, meaning how movies with similar stars or IP or subject matter have done in the past. Then there's things like reviews, word of mouth, social media chatter, that amorphous word buzz. It's definitely an inexact science, and you never know when a wild card like a scandal or a hurricane in Florida will skew the numbers. In recent years, the pandemic and its aftermath has thrown a big wrench into the tracking machine. With certain audiences just no longer showing up, other audiences returning to theaters in surprising numbers, but only for certain titles, this is all a big business. Millions of dollars a year are spent on this kind of research, and it helps studios determine how to market, where to spend money, the messaging they use, and even what kinds of movies to make and when to release them. There's a big movie opening this weekend, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. It's Marvel. It's a sequel to a movie that grossed $1.3 billion and was nominated for Best Picture. But there's no big star in it. So how will it do? $150 million domestic? $200 million? More? Less? Then once it's out, how will it perform long term? Is it going to get to $1.3 billion? More? Less? Who knows? Today I'm going to talk to Paul Dergarabedian. He's one of the leading movie analysts. He looks at the tracking. He looks at all the financials. He analyzes those box office returns when they come in. He works for Comscore. And we're going to dive into the world of movie tracking and movie analytics, how it's changed in the pandemic, and what you can expect from Black Panther this weekend. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Paul Dergarabedian, the senior media analyst for Comscore. And this is a topic that you and I talk about a lot, but I think there's a lot of confusion out there about what these projections actually mean for box office. You know, we'll see on a Thursday or a Friday, oh, this movie is projected to make $80 million this weekend. I even do an over-under on the tracking in my newsletter and on this show on whether I think the tracking will be beat 
or whether the movie will come up short. But it's really an inexact science, right? Explain how it works and what some of the pitfalls are. Yeah, very much so, Matt. It's great to be here. It's really cool to to talk about this subject because it's shrouded in so much mystery. Although there's there's two levels of tracking. One is where you get a Thursday night preview and you get the number and you can predict the opening weekend, or you get the Friday number and you can extrapolate from that. You basically there there are certain metrics that's using numbers to project out. That's one measure of tracking and what yeah. people say versus how many people showed up on a. Thursday or Friday night, like that's one level. I get that. But talk about the projections that happened before anyone in the public has seen the movie. Yeah, so studios rely on companies to go out there. And, and remember, I don't work for these companies, so I don't know their exact methodology. But just in today's world, what they are basing the prediction on, let's say, and it used to be that these predictions were solely for the studio's use. But then studios kind of gave up on trying to keep that genie in the bottle and not let the number out. And now studios try to get ahead of those uh, projections because they want to manage expectations. So, for example, on Wakanda Forever, which we're going to talk about a lot more here, uh, I think the number is around 165, 165 million. That's the studio projection of what this movie will open to over its three-day opening. Exactly, domestically. And I think that's a, a pretty conservative projection. Yeah, I mean, they lowball. They lowball so they can overperform. They always do. Because if you go out there and you say it's going to do 250 or 220 or whatever the number is, and it does a mere 180, uh, you know, 180 million, then wow, it's a big disappointment. So it's a lot about that. Well, but, but that's, I mean, to, and I know box office reporters get spun a lot, but to their credit, and I was at Hollywood Reporter, where we did a lot of this box office reporting, you try to get a mix of opinions on what it's going to open, including services that are not dependent on the studio. So That's right. let's say if Disney is putting out a 165 number, you might get a number from Warners that says, no, 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 it's going to do 200. They're lowballing you. Right, exactly. And even analysts such as myself using uh, basically my gut, and that's about it, and looking at historical numbers for a film like Black Panther, uh, the, the franchise, and looking at the first film that opened at 202 million. And that was obviously a February uh, release, uh, President's Weekend, Valentine's Day, right ahead of that. You had a Monday holiday that helped that number. So you have to look at it within the context of that. So the trackers will look at that kind of calendric uh, influence on what the numbers could do. Mm -hmm. So that that's part of it. Social media is part of it. And again, the secret sauce for this, for me, is just my gut. And I never really look at anything, although I am influenced when I talk to a journalist and they say, well, I'm hearing, what are you hearing? And then they want to hear what you say before you before they tell you what others are saying. And then everybody kind of gut checks against each other. Yeah, I hear that stuff a lot. It, most of it's bullshit. You know, you hear, oh my God, Black Adam was testing through the roof. We got a hit on our hands. And then the reviews come out and it's like one of the worst reviewed DC movies. Well, that's, Matt, that's the thing though, because, you know, you can do all the pre-release, uh, you know, projecting that you want, but once the movie is presented to the public, then that changes the narrative in terms of social media. So you can only control that up to a certain point and if a movie is a huge hit with critics, and so the predictions may be much higher than maybe some would expect, but then the movie opens and you see that, let's say, the Rotten Tomatoes score is right. super low, you can have an ever-changing 
uh, pr- the prediction all weekend will change. But in advance of the movie's opening, studios and others just want to get a uh, an idea of what the movie might open to. And this also goes to the you know investors and and parent companies. They want to know what these movies are going to open to. But you really don't know. It ain't over till it's over, and you really don't know. So the movie opens. And in fact, the Thursday previews sometimes aren't even that great of an indicator. You can have a big Thursday preview or not so big Thursday preview, but then the movie plays very well Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and you get a different. And there are genres that overperform like horror tends to do well, like Thursday and Friday nights because the core fans show up and want to see it or a sequel to a very well-known and beloved original will overperform at the beginning because you've got that pent up demand of people who want to see it. And then the word of mouth tends to spread. I always tell the story of the first time I noticed that social media was killing a movie and whatever year the Bruno movie came out, yeah, uh, the follow-up to Borat, I believe it was 2011, 2012, something like that. And in talking to people at Universal, it was releasing the movie. They had done all the things you normally do. You've got the marketing campaign. Sasha Baron Cohen was doing all his stunts. Everything that a traditional studio would do to open what they knew was a pretty bad movie. And it used to be that you could eke out an opening weekend, and it wasn't until Monday morning when people would go to the work, go to you know the school or go to work or tell their friends that it was awful. Friday night, Bruno started tanking. Yeah. Even from the matinees to the evening shows. And they couldn't figure out. And then they're looking on Twitter and everyone is shitting on the movie on Twitter. And they're like, oh my God, we've got to care about Twitter now because it's killing our movie. You know, Matt, I I love that you're talking about this because it really is, you know, you're getting free uh, test audience reaction in real time via Twitter now. And, And it's also an influencer. We're talking about people or individuals who are influencers, but Twitter can have an influence for sure. And if people, you know, if you, and you're exactly right, Back in the day, you had to wait for the real water cooler on Monday to 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 discuss a movie and tell people, don't go see this movie. And then the second weekend would really get hurt. Well, now that's all been compressed into the first three days or the first two days. That was and that was actually 2009. I'm looking at Bruno. Oh, wow. 2009. So that was like almost 15 years ago. Now, that was the early days of Twitter. Um, But and so that's not necessarily new. But what is new, I think, is this anxiety around the post-pandemic movie going. And I want to talk a little bit about that because when you look at things that are determinative of how a movie will do, you look, like you said, you know, the comps of other similar movies. You look at the budget of the movie. You look at the genre. You look at the stars. Does it it matter that Black, Black Panther 2 doesn't really have any big movie stars like the first one had Michael B. Jordan and Chadwick Boseman? So... Does that matter? You look at all of the things that go into this, but one of the things you look at, like you said, was comps. And I don't know that comps from a pre-pandemic world are as valid as some might think they are. Now you're talking. Now now you're talking my language because this definitely changed everything. We sort of has we've hit the reset. We have to reassess and reevaluate what is a hit and what isn't. Although it's interesting because this summer it kicked off with Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, $187.4 million opening. I think that's an opening that would have been perfectly great uh, pre-pandemic, but maybe Marvel can bend the universe to its will in terms of... Yeah, Spider-Man. Spider-Man's opening was what, 250-something last 260.1, December? 260.1, and that yeah. was No Way Home. During a pretty heavy part of the pandemic back in 
mid-December of 21, posted the second biggest opening weekend of all time with no asterisk. I mean, that's just flat out. And that was pretty amazing. So for, for perhaps other films and other genres and other brands, the pandemic has certainly had an impact. But more than that, there haven't been as many movies, wide release movies released this year. We're down some 33 titles. If you if each one of those made 40 million, you're talking about it'd be over a billion dollars in box office. It's missing from the equation. And that's competition for all these movies. Because oh, yeah. you have to, when you look at comps, you always have to look at the competition. And most for the big movies, most of the other studios will clear away their big movies, unless it's the height of the summer where you used to see two big movies open opposite each other if they had slightly different target audiences. Now that doesn't happen because there just aren't that many movies so they can have their own weekend to themselves. So that also screws up the comps. It really does too, because the landscape is so different. So in other words, if you have uh, legends of, there was a, a, a video game championship this past weekend that Absolutely killed it on Saturday, plus a Met Opera. You've had Japanese anime uh, landing in the top five and the top two. Uh, it's really a different opportunistic time for films that aren't necessarily the big blockbusters. You can have a lot of other types of movies. That's not necessarily good for the bottom line box office because many of these are either one day events or they're not generating the kind of dollars uh, that a big Marvel movie would. But even in talking about the competitive landscape, uh, Definitely studios and, and others are looking at what video games are opening, what shows are dropping on the small screen. I mean, it's not just about anymore what the movie release calendar in theaters looks like, but what else is going on in the world? Uh, and and that's really kind of important. And with so much streaming available yeah, out there, it's changed the equation totally. There was a lot of talk about how there were no studio style blockbusters from essentially from bullet train in August through black Adam in October. That's right. And you know, everyone's like, Oh, the dearth of entertainment. I was like, but what about Lord of the Rings? <laughs> what about house of the yeah. dragon? What about Andor? I mean, those are three massive tent poles. They just happen to be streaming services. Exactly. So, you know, and that, and that's, that's a whole separate conversation, but I want to, I want to keep the focus here on predicting how these movies do and whether they are profitable. What do you think Black Panther has to do in theaters to be profitable for Disney? For Disney to be profitable, I mean, this clearly is not an inexpensive movie. Let's say two fifty. Let's say I'm, I'm, I bet it actually ended up costing more because they had a completed script and had started in pre-production when Chadwick Boseman died so they right. scrapped all of that completely rewrote it i bet there were costs associated with that but let's say it's 250 250 for the opening or or no 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 250 for the production budget oh excuse me yes so if the budget is 250 million i mean look if you look at the past few marvel movies even ones that weren't that well reviewed so for example thor love and thunder that movie made a 750 million dollars worldwide that's a good number. I think any and a Marvel movie doesn't generally earn, especially pre-pandemic, anything under half a billion worldwide, but it does happen with some of the films. But that's rare. These mm -hmm. movies generally, again, pre-pandemic, because there were some Marvel movies during the pandemic that reached, let's say, 400 million worldwide. Didn't get higher than that. It, I'm talking like Eternals. Shang-Chi, although that was a big hit a year ago, mm -hmm. uh, Black Widow, films like that. Those are pandemic movies, I those think. Those are pandemic I think those, movies. Yeah, those have asterisks on them, and Black Widow was available at home. 
Absolutely. So you're you're exactly right. But for Black Panther, this movie is going to open, let's just call it to be like on the edge a little bit over 200 million. Let's say it mm-hmm. does what the first movie did. And that movie wound up with 1.347 billion worldwide. And I think you got to you got to be at half a billion at least worldwide for for anybody to be happy with a Marvel movie and that's how high the bar has been set for Marvel. Yeah, I've heard 600. I've heard 600 for a break-even number. Given the worldwide marketing spend on a movie like this, which can approach 100, 150 sometimes, production budget, everything that goes into it, I have heard that, you know, because obviously the theaters take half of the take, you know, of the box office in this country, a little less overseas. And Disney, due to its market share, gets to dictate those terms a little bit more. So let's say they take 60% uh, the first couple weekends of Black Panther, they, they need to get to about six hundred million, and then beyond that, it's profit. Well, I think they they get there. I mean, let's let's look at Doctor Strange, for example, open with one hundred eighty seven point four million. Let's say Black Panther, Wakanda Forever does that kind of business opening weekend, which I think it will. That film went on to nine hundred and fifty two million worldwide. That's definitely over that six hundred million threshold. Thor: Love and Thunder seven hundred and fifty million, seven hundred fifty three million globally. So they get there with Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. I know the reviews have been really strong uh, so far, but we have to, like you said earlier, we have to see what social media says about the movie. And look. Chadwick Boseman, certainly a lot of people are going to want to see this movie uh, to honor his legacy and his memory. But this was going to be a preordained or predestined hit anyway. And without having a hundred million dollar opener since Thor Love and Thunder back in July, I think audiences are primed and ready for a big blockbuster Marvel experience. And with Ryan Coogler at the helm, I mean, Fruitvale Station, Creed, of course, in 2015, the first Black Panther uh, certainly, that create the creative team is all in place perfectly for Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I you know I do think that the movie there's no star on the poster. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the first one really I think an under an underestimated factor was Michael B. Jordan, who I think is a star for young people, and not having him on the poster I think is a is you know. It, but this is a pre-sold movie. I, I'm not worried about this movie. This episode is brought to you by Netflix, presenting The Crown as the beloved series bids farewell. Deserving of praise on every level, says New York Magazine. Throughout its groundbreaking six-season run, The Crown has featured three different casts, earned 273 award nominations, and secured 70 award wins, including outstanding drama series. Critics rave, The Crown secures its place in the pantheon of television history. From creator and writer Peter Morgan, the final season stars Imelda Staunton, Dominic West, and SAG Award winner Elizabeth Debicki. The Crown, for your Emmy consideration in all categories. I am curious what you think about mo- a movie like Avatar 2. Because that, I feel like, is the big <laughs> question mark in the movie business right now. Will people show up for a movie, a sequel to a movie that is 12 years old, that, uh, no, 13 years old now, and um, it's sort of been out of the culture for a long this is time. where predictions get really wonky because yeah. on Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, you figure the first one did 202. Uh, this one could earn close to that. And then you can look at Doctor Strange and how that opened. Avatar 2, when you have that long of a period between movies, 
that makes it even tougher to predict. I can't, I, on, one, on the one hand, I know people who were so excited that footage was going to be shown earlier this year at CinemaCon, and then other people who are like, meh. So this is a really tough one to predict, Matt. This will be, this is going to put the, the predictors and the trackers to the test because Avatar is either going to just blow people's minds and, and overperform and, I don't know about rivaling the first film's box office. That was unprecedented. And it it was. But if you remember, the first film did not open gigantic. It opened big and fine, but it grew and grew and grew and grew. And that gets to the question of multiples. What do you think? What is the going consensus right now for what a movie will ultimately gross domestically? when it opens to a certain number? Like, let's say a movie opens to $100 million. Is it still 2.5? Yeah, it's around that. So if you have a movie like Spider-Man No Way Home had a 3.13 multiple. That means that it ultimately grosses 3.1 times the opening weekend. That's right. And and for example, Top Gun Maverick is close to six times. And that movie opened with $126 million. That is the exception that That's proves it. That, that movie played like nothing else. I mean, most movies... The expectation in Hollywood is that you ultimately gross 2.5 times the opening weekend domestically. You're exactly right. And that, and now Marvel though, they, they tend to do, they're in the three range. When I look at all, you know, some of the, it depends on the movie and the time of year and all of that multiples are very important, but yeah, on a movie that opens at over a hundred million, you're lucky to get two times the opening weekend as your ultimate final grosser, two and a half times that. And so I think that's going to be really, uh, a metric that we're going to be looking at certainly for Wakanda forever. I think they're going to have a strong showing because again, there aren't as many movies. That's the thing. I think multiples are going up because of the lack of competition, at least this year. And if you look at the rest of this month, what else is there that's going to be a huge draw? And by the way, Matt, having the same movie number one every week is great for that movie. It's not great for the business. You want to have more movies up that you want to have a, audiences in a sense migrating from one blockbuster to the next because that means the new movie is so appealing they have to go out and see it and the coverage drops too when you have the same you know black black adam is number one for three weeks in a row it's like come on let's get something new going here. well and the rock has been tweeting about that but what he's not tweeting about is the fact that that movie will probably end up losing money i mean that yeah. is a 200 million dollar dc movie that is at about 130 8 million domestic right now, probably 323 worldwide, probably going to top out at about 400, I would guess. Something like that. That's not enough for a $200 million DC movie. You're spot on there. I think also, though, this marketplace is not the best case scenario for the overall industry. Hopefully, next year we get more into what they used to call Madden, as we know, an orderly release pattern with. You know, a, a bunch of movies, uh, all spaced out perfectly. You get that momentum going from week to week, from movie to movie. And I think that, though, you're right, though, with Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, it's got a pretty wide open playing field until Avatar. And then, of course, you're going to have indie films and, you know, you're going to have films or specialized films, whatever you want to call them. You know, Babylon is on the way and Fablemans. And there's. Let's there's talk about that because the consensus, I think, is that the adult drama audience has not fully returned to theaters, if it will ever return. If you were seeing these awards-oriented movies coming out in November and some are scheduled for December, movies like Tar, the Todd Field movie with Kate Blanchett, and you know we saw this past weekend with Armageddon Time with Anne Hathaway, 
these are prestige-oriented movies that are just kind of falling flat at the box office. And Till as well, the movie Till. Till, is exactly. Terrific film. And, and these films are having a hard time drawing the audience that they're aimed toward. But if you look at Ticket to Paradise, for example, <laughs> the star power there brought people in. And that, you know, that was a little, that's obviously a different genre than a than a drama, but it is that whole thing about the the more mature audience, will they come out? And they have, in a sense, for everything, everywhere, all at once. But that was back more in the summer where there was more momentum going. So we'll see. But do you think, I mean, you talk to the studios, do you think they're going to continue to put these movies in theaters? Or are they going to look at the numbers from this year and just say, you know what? We're out. Cut bait. Not doing this anymore. That's the problem. Because if a certain genre doesn't show that bang for the buck, that profitability factor, or that audiences are only interested in watching those films on the small screen, that's going to impact decision-making. The, the bigger problem, because I have so many filmmaker friends, is that every filmmaker wants their film on the big of course, screen. Of course, And so that, and then you remember the days of having all the independent or the, the independent arm of every major studio. They had like a a distribution arm that yeah, of was course, devoted. the specialty division, and those still exist. Searchlight Pictures, Focus Features, yeah, I mean, they still exist. And my question is, will they or should they? If this box office trend continues, if there is no discernible market for these award style movies in theaters, if that platform release where you put it in four theaters, then eight, then a hundred, then a thousand. If a movie like Three Billboards can get to $100 million by Oscar night, that's a real business for Searchlight. Can that still happen? Well, let's, okay, let's look at it this way. Let's be pragmatic and say uh, that if a movie, if a certain genre doesn't make money and doesn't pull in a certain audience, just give up on it. Or you could look at it a different way and say, maybe we have what are called lost leaders, films that allow studios to maintain relationships with filmmakers. And I'm living in a very Pollyanna world in my head right now where it's not just about the box office. Oh, please. Come on. That's what I'm saying. I'm Pollyanna right now. I, that is gone. That there is These companies need to make money. Have you looked at their stock prices lately? They do need to make money and they have shareholders. But the, the other issue here, Matt, is that there a lot of the movie theaters that were devoted to showing those films and catered to those audiences couldn't weather the storm of the pandemic. So the problem is twofold. Tell me about it. My landmark is gone. My land, local landmark it theater sucks. went under. It really sucks. Uh, but getting back to tracking and getting back to this weekend, I've heard that above 150, all bets are off. Above 150 million, it's impossible to predict where the number is actually going to land. Absolutely. And let's go back in the time machine for a second to the Avengers Endgame that opened April 26 of 2019. I remember just hand wringing. Everyone's like, can it do 250? Can it open to 260? Is that even possible? And then people were doing the math on, well, with this many screens, if all of them were full, normal show times, there's no way. And that does 357.1 million domestically biggest opening weekend of all time. How do you do that? Well, they ran theaters 24 hours a day. That yeah. wasn't even figured into the equation. So there was no tracking. They didn't even have a rule book or a blueprint for a movie that to open to 357 million domestically. So it just shows you how it's fun to try and do these predictions. But at the end of the day, you don't really know till Sunday morning and really Monday afternoon what the real number is. But it's certainly fun to look at. 
I want to meet the dude who's going to see Avengers Endgame at 3.30 in the morning. I do, too. Sunday night. Yeah. It wasn't me. I- <laughs> Great movie, though. Yes. Paul DeGarabedian, thank you for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Matt, always a pleasure. I'll see you soon. All right. We are back with the call sheet, my daily prediction. So, of course, on this episode, we got to do our own Black Panther predictions, Craig. Yep. We've both seen it. Mm-hmm. We've now seen the reviews. Very positive in the high 80s on Rotten Tomato. Not ecstatic, not like over the moon positive like the original in 2018. The consensus tracking seems to be around 185 for the opening weekend. Um, there are some that have it higher, some that have it lower. Disney's kind of low ball is 165. The original opened to 202 over the MLK. No, it was the president's weekend of 2018. And then on that Monday, it grossed even more. So I'm going to take the over on 185. I don't think it'll be that much over, but I I am going to think, I think it'll get close to that first movie's opening weekend. I agree. I'm going to take the over as well. Uh, not only because I think the movie's good, it'll have a really strong word of mouth and everybody loves the first one, but also, haven't you said in the past, a lot of the times, all these tracking numbers are just lowballed. They are, and but I will say anything above 150 is really difficult to predict, and it's, you know, they're trying to be conservative. This could overperform, and all of a sudden we're at 230, 240 for the weekend. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the running time, two hours and 40 minutes, is going to cut down on showings. Um, I, again, I do think the fact that Michael B. Jordan was in the original, Chadwick Boseman, they are not in this. I, I just, um, you know, the original came out at a different time of year. And I just don't know. I don't, you know, the, the reviews are all positive, And I bet I haven't looked at social media lately, but I'm sure the word of mouth is great. Um, I I just don't know if it's going to get to the heights of a Spider-Man movie or something like that. Yeah, I'm curious about the longevity aspect. I think it will have a big opening weekend because like you've said, it's been a dry past few months in terms of huge movies and theaters. And there's a reveal. You get to find out who the next Black Panther is and you get to see how they handle the Chadwick Boseman issue. So I think there's going to be pent up curiosity about that too. But the time of year is interesting, right? It's the holidays. Do, do the holidays typically kill movies longevity wise? Are people doing other things? They're with family, they're traveling. There's also Avatar 2 coming out. Is yeah, that going to cut December. into it? That's, that's mid-December. I think uh, typically Thanksgiving weekend is big for movies. You, you don't obviously get much on Thanksgiving itself, but that Friday, Saturday, Sunday is pretty big so and this will have almost zero competition there's the spielberg movie and then the knives out movie is in theaters over thanksgiving glass onion but it's really just a marketing exercise for netflix and you know uh, uh a thousand theaters to promote the fact that it's on netflix a few weeks later so i don't know how much that will be a factor this movie is going to have a pretty clear runway for the next few weeks right so we'll see uh, it's a tough one. This is tougher than normal. Just when you get to this level and this high of prognostication, it's really, really difficult. But I am going to take the over on 185. All right, that is the show for today. I want to thank Paul Dergarabedian, Comscore, coming on. I want to thank producer Craig Holbeck, and I want to thank you. We will see you tomorrow. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.